Let's open our Bibles today to Luke chapter 14. Tanner won't be here this week because he's going to Hawaii. I'm not holding a grudge, but I hope you have a great time. Amen. All right. The title of my message is Priorities. Priorities. Don't you hate that word? I I chose that just to irritate you. What are priorities? It's making the right choices, isn't it? And sometimes we make the right choices and sometimes we don't. And we say, I'm definitely going to make the right choices tomorrow. We're all alike. We're all just alike. Um, On my good days, I think I'm better than other people. On my bad days, I think, I say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Now, my, my highest priority in the ministry is to help this church as well as every one of you find how God wants to work through your lives. That's like this constant running prayer in our lives, isn't it? God, what is it you want for my life? And maybe many of you are doing the very thing God has created you to do, and you're not even aware of it. Or maybe you're kind of doing it and messing around with other things. I love, absolutely love working with pastors and helping them to just think a little more clearly about the ministry. I spoke this week with a a pastor in South Carolina that I just started working with, and he is completely stressed out about the ministry. You know why? Say why. Because his church is growing too fast. That is a problem. Because pretty soon we can't manage it, And this nice little group that we knew how to lead and organize, more people are coming and these more people aren't cooperating. The greatest thing is when God is doing things bigger than our capacity. And I've I've had like two coaching sessions with this pastor and I can just see on his face the stress Terry, I need answers now. I I cannot manage this church. And I said to him, you feel like you have to turn the whole ship, and that's way too much. You don't have to turn the ship. I said, calm down. All you have to do is turn the rudder, and the whole ship will follow. And the ministry is like that. It's focusing on the right little things that will have a big, big impact. And it's like that in your life, focusing on the right little things that will make a big impact. I, I personally feel it's what the Lord has called me to do is to just train people for ministry. 
And as far as I'm concerned, that's what I'm doing with you. You are all in ministry school right now. You thought you were coming to church, but this is school of ministry. I've got messages from two pastors in India, just like yesterday and today, saying, Terry, come to India. Going, I don't know. That's, that's a, I've been to India before. That's like the farthest place on the planet. Almost. It's not, it's not as far as Australia, where, you know, I've been to, but... The Lord takes us, nobodies, and he puts us into places where we make a big impact in lives around us. And that's what I want for you. I've been sharing the past couple of Sundays about how church works, about simply all of us are plugging into areas of praying, serving, and giving. And I've tried to simplify how church works because every church wants to see God work, but it's like this big mystery. How does it happen? And often in those churches that seem to be exploding, they don't really know how it's happening. They think they know, and those pastors write books about how it's happening, but they don't really know. It's really a work of God. But very practically, the general ways that we are all participating is by praying, serving, and giving. And I want you to know, I just appreciate that you've heard me. You have heard me. You're going, okay, that makes it simple. I can do this. I can pray about this. And many of you are just giving more. And the giving, the praying, the serving helps us all to pull together for God to work in our church. Now, when I go out and do ministry training at churches, and I'm going down to California in a couple of weeks, I give them five basic ministry principles to start with. And the guys are going to put those up on a slide. But these are are basic things that anyone can understand. And... We just begin with these basic things. It's not this mystery of the blowing of the wind. First of all, God has a work to do in our city. That's like so obvious. And I I have said that many times, but it's easy to forget in the routine of ministry. It's God who has a work that he wants to do. Secondly, God raises up people to do that work. One of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on those whose hearts are open to him. Do you know that God is just looking for someone to show his power through? He's just going, let me, let me do this rather than us praying and trying to beg God to work. God is looking at us saying, I'm ready when you are. Third, the church comes together in a partnership for that work. Key word is partnership. Because many churches operate 
as a large group of individuals, everybody doing their own thing. And quite often when I go out and do training, I have to fix that. It's not going to work for every one of you to do your own thing and say, well, I'm just following the leading of the Lord. Of course, you have your individual calling, but the picture Paul gives us is the body, the physical body, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, that while there are many members, we are fitted together in one body, and I want my physical body to cooperate. I want all the parts of my body to cooperate, right? Every part of my body is important. I need it. I don't look at any part of my physical body and say, you're extra. I don't need you. But for my body to work, every part needs to be connected and cooperating. And I've always loved throughout my life physical coordination activities. I was a gymnast, played drums, played guitar. I just love the challenge of eye-hand coordination just the dexterity. A church will not see God work if it's a bunch of individuals. We are working together while at the same time, you are doing the very thing God's called you to do. A fourth basic principle is that the fruit of ministry is observable and measurable. Meaning, when God is working through you and through the church, we should be able to see results. Yes? And when you're figuring out how God's going to work through you, you're going to try different things in ministry. I think I'd like to help out here. I think I'd like to help out here. Can I try that? And while you're doing that, you're testing and figuring out, and the way you know if you're on the right track is you're going to see fruit for it. This is not a mystery. What is the fruit we're looking for? It's impact in other people's lives. Their lives were affected. They were comforted. They were edified. They were blessed. We just watch and see. And if there's no results, no fruit for whatever you tried, then try something else. Don't stress out about it and say, oh, you know, poor me. God's not using me. Of course he wants to use you. You might try a couple. I had no idea ever that I should be a Bible teacher and pastor. This is like the last thing. And here I am standing here. And it feels now so natural for me to do this. But I was pretty bad at it a long time ago. Number five, we can't produce the work of God, but we can definitely hinder it. Does that make sense? If it's God's work, he produces the work. And even in all of our laboring in the ministry, it's still him that caused the increase. So we don't get to stand around and boast about what all the things we accomplished in the ministry. There's no room for that. Whether it is the high-profile pastor or the behind-the-scenes janitor, 
Every work of God is God doing it. So we are all the same. We are all the same. If you can get to that place in ministry, you will enjoy it more because you'll stop worrying about whether somebody noticed you or you got recognized. Pastors are so guilty of that. I'm just doing what the Lord asked me to do. If he asked me to do something else, fine. But he says, Terry, I want you to stand in front of people and teach. I'm going, I don't think I want to do that. But I got used to it. So under priorities is whether you and I are making the right choices. If God is looking at us and saying, who can I use? The people God can use are the ones who are making the choice to put the Lord first. We're not passively going about our own selfish business, and then suddenly we're getting used by God. We're beginning to make the right choices. And so those are the things that I'm going to look at here in Luke chapter 14. What do those choices look like? And still in these chapters in Luke, Jesus is dealing with the religious leaders. And what a great snapshot of people who are making the wrong choices. Now, we know we don't want to be like them, but exactly what is it that they're doing that is making them unusable? If I'm doing something that makes me unusable, I just want to know. Don't let me just deceive myself into thinking that, that you know, I'm okay when I'm not. The first thing I want you to write down that in ministry, for us to be used, people are more important than tradition, than religious tradition. And that's what we're going to look at here. Follow with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now, it happened as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. Why did they watch him closely? Because they want to learn from him? No. Verse 2, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees. The lawyers are just experts in Jewish law, the Old Testament. Saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent, and he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Now, one of the things I want you to learn ministry students, is how to use the Bible. And as we're reading through the Bible, there's lots of information in your thinking, what does this mean? What do I do with it? And essentially, the Bible is not organized in chapter and verse. That was added later by translators to make it easy to find things. 
the Bible is really organized by themes and thoughts. Almost, if you think more in terms of each book of the Bible has one major theme. And in fact, the whole Bible has one major theme. Did you know that? What is this Sunday school answer for the little kids? What is the Bible about? One word. Now, that's actually absolutely true. And we know that because Jesus said so. John 5, 39 and 40, write that down. Jesus said to the religious leaders that you search the scriptures because you think that in them or by knowing the scriptures that you have eternal life. He says, but it's these which testify of me and you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. John 5, 39 and 40. Why do you search the scriptures and don't do the very thing the scriptures tell you to do? From Genesis to Revelation, it is about Jesus. It is about the redemption plan that God has laid out for us to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. John chapter 1, John tells us, it is Jesus who created all things. And by him was nothing made that was made. So who was God in Genesis 1.1? Kids? Jesus. That's right. You all get a sticker after church today. So that person who created all things, along with the Father and the Spirit, because God who in Genesis 1.1 is Elohim, which is the plural word for God, the Godhead. God is one. Um, Deuteronomy 6.4, just like a man and woman are one. A husband and wife are one. So there is Jesus, not called by Jesus, until his birth, his human name. And all through the Bible, it is about knowing God. Old Testament declaring is preparing for him to come. The New Testament declaring he has come. So as you're looking through this first part, here's a story. You're training your eye to find the point. What's the point of this? You know the story. Jesus goes into a Pharisee's house. They're watching him to find fault. There is a man who is, is sick there. And because they know Jesus now, they know he is inclined to heal him. The problem is it's the Sabbath. Well, for the Pharisees, that's not a problem because the tradition of keeping the Sabbath is more important than helping people. Is that the right priority? No. How about in our Protestant Christianity, do we form traditions? Yeah, we do. Now, it's easy to look at those Pharisees in the, the system of Judaism and go, man, they really messed it up. We are just as guilty. It doesn't matter. You look at the various church groups and denominations in our country. Generally, at the beginning of those denominations, there was a great work of God. But then over the years, 
the tens, the twenties, the fifty, the hundred years, the two hundred years that go on, invariably those groups start to form traditions, meaning this is how we do things. Nothing wrong in general with this is how we do things, but God forbid that those traditions get in the way of why we even exist. People over traditions. So you have to catch yourself, and many of you may have come out of various church traditions, backgrounds, and those traditions are familiar to you. They're comfortable to you. This modern church and the rock and roll and it's a little too loud for me, and I don't know about all this stuff. Methods and style of ministry moves on. But the entire point of why we're here is to impact people's lives. If anything that we're doing gets in the way of that, it has to get fixed. And I say that in our staff meeting almost every week. Are we doing something that's not working or getting in the way? Because we can fix it. And I want you to remember out of that, the clear point of Jesus that healing that man is more important than the tradition of keeping the Sabbath. Now, the, the scripture says, in the law for them to rest on this, the seventh day. That's the biblical instruction. What they did was they just made it so complicated that it was something God never intended. So there was a, like a little measure of truth that they blew up into some big thing that was way more than God intended. That's what we're all good at, blowing things up into things that God didn't intend. Maybe you've heard the story of in the beginning years of Calvary Chapel, and we are here because of a work of God back in the late 60s and 70s. It was called the Jesus Movement, labeled that by the media because it was such a massive work of God where that generation out of the 60s that we called the hippies had completely left mainstream society looking for answers. They didn't find it where they were looking. And by the end of the 60s, they came by waves to the Lord. Not to church, but to Jesus. That's why they were called Jesus people, because they didn't really care about church. And so Pastor Chuck styled church in a way that was completely free of the traditions of their parents' church. Choir robes, church membership, um, all of the usual things that we knew as children that I knew as a child in church. And so he just made it simple. They started showing up with their guitars and drums, saying we wrote worship songs, and it just was a work of God. And now the style of music and worship that churches around the world do in churches of music came from those hippies in the 60s. Did you know that? 
People who have never heard of Calvary Chapel, I'll say, do you know that style of music you do with guitars and drums and, and keyboards in your church? That came from the Jesus movement. It was such a radical, radical change. But the established churches were uncomfortable with that. Why? Because that's not our tradition. And so it exploded. They bought property in Santa Ana. They built a, a new church building. And they started to have services there, new seats, carpet, everything. But these hippies were showing up uh, barefoot, still looking like hippies. And the elders of the church saying, you can't come in here without shoes on. Why? Because we have to protect the new carpet. You know what Pastor Chuck said? Some, you know, one of the elders or an usher or somebody put a sign on the sanctuary door and said, no shoes, no service, something like that. <laughs> Pastor Chuck, Chuck said, look, if we have to tear the carpet out of this place, we're going to because these kids are coming in. We all get challenged in our comforts. And many of those comforts, we need to, you know, they can be upset in order for us to be used by God. Now, of course, if something is, is a compromised on a biblical principle, then we don't compromise. But we tend to make our personal convictions at equal with Scripture, don't we? We all do that. We all do that. A second principle and priority of ministry here in Luke 14 is humility over position. Humility over position. And the question is, how can I advance my ministry? Have you ever asked that question? Every pastor does. How can I advance my ministry? It's a good question. How can I be more effective in ministry? But our, our egos get involved and cause us to distort things. At verse 7, so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best seats, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. Verse 10, but when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher or to a better seat. Then you will have glory or honor in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't mind saying to you that churches, uh, pastors are among the most guilty of breaking this principle. We're in front. We get the attention. 
and it seems that people, you know, especially if you're a really charismatic pastor. Now, no problem there because that's not me. People just want to be around these highly charismatic pastors and they get caught up in the show. And you're thinking how I have an opportunity here to advance my ministry, go to conferences and be the speaker, be around the groups of pastors, and I better do something to get myself noticed. couple of things I love about this is that God wants to honor you. God wants to raise you up in the ministry. There's nothing wrong with doing a good job and others seeing, wow, God is really using your life. There's nothing wrong with that. But it needs to be God doing it and not you. There's just something distasteful about self-promotion. But I'll tell you, it is how much of Christianity works today. Hence the word branding. I hate that word. You better promote yourself. You better get out there. But what you can count on is that, remember, God wants to use you. God wants to work through you in such a way that it will be obvious to everyone that you're being used by God. So just relax and let God do it, okay? That allows you to focus on doing the ministry, not how can I get noticed in the ministry. That distraction of self-promotion will sabotage your ministry every time. It will sabotage. Here at this story, there would be a dinner. The host of the table or the the dinner would sit at a certain place, and right next to him would be the, the best seats of honor to the right and to the left. And so people would jockey for the best places to sit next to the host. So when you come in and see the best place, don't take it. And just let the Lord honor you. Verse 11, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. I love that. Verse 12, then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or brothers or relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. A third principle I want you to write down is the eternal over the temporal. Ministry and serving God is about bigger things 
then how can I get noticed or how can I get a reward? How can I get people to do more favors for me? Again, God will repay you. Often in this life, but we remember there is a life to come. We don't really talk about that a lot in Christianity. So much about Christianity is about five steps to a happy life, right? Those are the topical messages going on around the country. Five steps to a happy life. This life, as good as we want it to be, is still temporary. It's never to be permanent. You know, when I drive through Portland, I've lived, I, I did live in Portland for 26 years. And, and even as I drive through now and I see people living out on the streets with their tents, I think those people think that's their permanent home. You ever seen homeless people who have no thought of getting off the street into a real home? We're kind of like that. This is a temporary life. These bodies are like tents. Paul said these are tents. So let's not get so caught up in this life when it is temporary. One day you will see the Lord face to face and in ways that you sacrificed and served the poor now, the Bible says he'll repay you. There are rewards in heaven. While salvation is not a reward, it's a gift, there are rewards for our faithful service. Did you know that? There are rewards for our faithful service. So we want to live for the eternal, not just the temporal. Just what am I going to get? I'm not going to do anything to serve people unless I get something out of it. Think of how stupid that sounds. And yet we are all, all susceptible of falling into that, aren't we? We're, we're all easily, don't ever say, well, look at those people. Because you and I are just as, as guilty of being susceptible of falling into that? What if God suddenly did something amazing through your life and you got a lot of attention and reward for it? Man, that would mess with your ego. I don't know if I could handle that. And so we trust the Lord to use us in the way he wants and bring even recognition in a way that we can handle. But so many pastors get discouraged in ministry because they didn't get recognized. And again, we want the Lord to work through this church.